Good morning. Oh my, let's try that again. Good morning. Oh, that's much better. I'd like to welcome everyone to the morning worship service here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. We're going to stand and sing Faith of Our Fathers as we celebrate on this Father's Day.
Father, we thank you for this day, this special day, Father's Day, where we recognize these fathers who have been faithful to not only their family, but especially to you. And so I just pray that you'll uh, bless us today by allowing us to see how many have come to know you and many have allowed you to work in and through their lives and uh, many have uh, had families who they've discipled family members and it's just continued to multiply and and it's blessed their hearts by seeing how you work, how you've worked in the past and how you're still working and Lord how you desire to continue to work in the future. So just uh, bless this time and may you be honored through it all even as we recognize our fathers in Jesus name. Amen.
Thank you, Susan. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis. Genesis, and it's not going to be chapter 1 or chapter 2. But it will be chapter 35. Now we're going to be looking at all of Genesis just about, so hold on uh, this morning. Yeah. But before we do, I want us to recognize some people in here that are very special to the family. Should be, and they should be recognized. And that is the fathers. I want all fathers to stand, if you will. Amen. Amen. Now before you're seated, just for a few moments briefly, I want someone to share with me about your relationship when you came to know the Lord and if it was from your father, from your mother, uh, however it came about. Someone share. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Anyone else before we? Amen. Okay. One more and then I'm going to have you... Be seated in just a moment. Anybody else like to share? Okay. Nobody. Let's give these people, these men, these wonderful leaders a big hand. Amen. And thank God for them. Okay, you can be seated. In chapter 35, we're going to be looking at Jacob. Uh, then God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Put away the foreign gods which, were, which are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. 
and let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you that you give us a promise just like you gave Jacob, and that is as we commit our lives to you that that you're always with us, that you'll always be with us. And God, that you will protect us, that you'll lead us, and that you'll guide us. And uh, in doing so, uh, that doesn't mean that we're robots, that we just, you push us along and, and we do it. You allow us to have that will to choose um, what to do. And that's part of growing. And so I just pray that uh, we've learned from both the positive and the negative. And God, that we'll continue to uh, depend upon you and continue to grow and continue to allow you to touch our hearts and our lives and that we'll be the examples, both fathers and mothers and others who are here, yet to have families, uh, um, others who have been uh, fathers and mothers to families where they uh, couldn't have their own uh, uh, whether in church or in neighborhood or whatever situation might have been to uh, to allow them this. I just uh, thank you for it, and I just pray that we'll continue to be the positive example, the Christ-like example that you would have us to be. Well, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, with World War II came both good and bad, and just like with all times, it comes. Uh, the horrors of uh, the devastation from the war, though, raised many questions in uh, many of the men's lives, uh, in their minds, about God's sovereignty and about even his existence. After World War I, things changed so that there seemed to be great hope, and I'm jumping back a little bit here. Uh, preachers began to preach that world peace was on the horizon. Uh, this eternal peace along with the uh, new cures that were coming out, medicines placed before us, uh, made us think uh, that God was about to usher in a new era, the millennium. Post-millennium view, uh, in other words, uh, they, there was hope in the making for a new world, a better world. But 25 years later came and then World War II which I mentioned first, followed with its skepticism about God and his kingdom because the things weren't panning out like they thought it was supposed to pan out. And in the 40s, Cab Calloway uh, sang a song, It Ain't Necessarily So. And it pointedly made fun of several well-known Bible stories like David and Goliath, Moses, Jonah and the whale, and story here that we're going to be looking at, uh, Jacob and the ladder. And so um, it's, you know, not only made fun of them, but it questioned the truthfulness of Scripture. And then there was uh, Bertrand uh, Russell uh, from the UK, who was a noted scholar uh, and socialist and liberal who said, uh, let me write the songs for the nation, and I don't care who writes songs. <laughs> Many men who were in World War II era were faced with uh, questions 
of meaning and purpose. And they seem to stuff their war memories deep inside and threw themselves into the explosion of business, growth, and materialism. That happened during the 50s. They were determined to make this world a better world. Uh, and so the problem was, though, many disconnected themselves in doing so from their feelings and often their families uh, while doing this. And the one result they weren't expecting was the radical rebellion that came about in the 60s from the children. <clears throat> With the rebellion, questions became very prominent like uh, the concern or the establishment uh, of marriage and the home, the government, and yes, even the church. All these dealing with their establishment. And these questions that were quietly questioned before now began to be shouted. Songs like Imagine by John Lennon encouraged people to imagine basically that there were no churches. Imagine that there was no heaven or hell. Comments like we're more popular than Jesus Christ from the Beatles made headlines along with comments from certain um, theological schools that said during the same time God is dead. And men began to drift away from their faith, the faith of their fathers. And during this time came the Vietnam War, Watergate, and prayers in the school which were banned from school. America experienced or began to experience a mess. It was a nation that was losing its moral compass. And absolutes uh, became a thing of the past. Traditional marriages were outdated. Biblical fidelity was ridiculed. By the 70s, our culture of conscience was so seared with drugs and sex and acid rock that we really sudden shouldn't have been that surprised to see how rights, R-I-G-H-T-S, began to replace responsibility. Our nation had moved away from honoring God and serving others to being a divided nation like it is today, and even worse today. Special groups with each one claiming their rights soon began to take over. The 80s promoted selfishness along with a loss of our moral compass. With this came an increase in crime, rising in sexually transmitted diseases, and a decay of our educational system. The result a general lack of meaning and purpose for everyone and our country. Christianity was looked upon as archaic, irrelevant, and intolerant. The churches hurt during this time and began to hurt drastically for male leadership. They said that during this time the average church in the 80s was composed of 
59% women as opposed to 41% men. In 60 years, our nation had moved from a country founded by the men of faith to a post-Christian culture. For the most part, today, men are no longer men. They used to be men who knew that they were men. They knew that they were to be the providers and protectors of the family. And the women didn't mean that they didn't work. It just meant that they were supporters of their husband and family. You see, when rules began to get blurred and confusion and chaos began to replace decency and order, and guess what is thrown into confusion, which Satan likes, and he loves to see it done, and that is the family. You know, there was a, a really a shocking, and I don't know what all went into the mind and ruling of this, but a new ruling, and I was talking with one of the younger gentlemen of our church this week, a ruling with the Supreme Court, I believe, on LGBT and their rights. Uh, I didn't know that they didn't already have rights. It seems like they're having special rights now. But you know what's kind of scary is what kind of part will that play with the church down the road? The separation of church and state right now. Fathers, if we're serious about building a life and a family, then it needs to be built on Jesus Christ and His Word alone. We can't count on society to support us. Revival, renewal, reform, and spiritual growth will not start from the top in Washington and work itself down. If this country is to change for the better, it will have to be because of individuals and especially men who will lead out, who believe in prayer and who will lead out to be godly men. We'll see that those people will be people who will say, hey, no matter what, God's kingdom comes first because he is to be the ruler. We're just to be the followers. Now as we look at Genesis 35, to understand this passage in Genesis 35, we must go back 30 years to the time when Jacob first went to Bethel. At that time he was fleeing for his life. And his brother Esau, twins, was after him to murder, murder him. But you've got to remember, they were twins, but this was during that culture where the firstborn gets the rights, right? And promises from the family. And Esau beat Jacob out of the womb. So he was to have this. His brother Esau was after him to murder him because he had stolen the rights. He had 
maneuvered and connived and, and swindled these rights from him. And Jacob was a fugitive. He was a runaway. Now this was a young boy and he didn't have any traveling gear and he didn't have anyone to help him. All he had was a staff in his hand and his mother shooing him away for safety. That first night away from home, Jacob spent at Bethel. His head was pillowed on a stone. It was a lonely spot, the wind howling. And there he had that dream of a ladder that was set up on earth, top reaching to heaven, and God standing above the ladder, the Lord. What was it that brought him to this place? What kind of home did he leave? Well, it was not an ideal home, but it was a home through which God was working and moving. He had told Abraham all the way back to Abraham that he you know, promised seed would come through him. It was a home where Isaac was given and to Abraham and Sarah, a promised child. Isaac was the son of Abraham and Sarah, the son of, that, of the promised God. The promise that God had given to them, the covenant. Rebekah was later his bride. And they expected their first child, who was uh, the twins here. It says in, in uh, Genesis, but the children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger in Genesis 25. God said that two nations were to come out of this family. Two nations did through these two boys. Not only can we trace the history of these two nations, but we're given spiritual application here also to the life of the believer, the old nature, the new nature. So in Esau and Jacob, we have a picture of two natures in a believer's life. If you're a child of God, you have the new nature and you have the old nature. You didn't, uh, the old nature was not eradicated when you were born again. You still have that. And there is opposition there just like there was opposition in Jacob's life. Paul said that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. Esau pictures the, uh, or captures the flesh and Jacob captures the spirit. Esau is a man of the flesh. He was a man that outwardly uh, you know, was far, far more attractive evidently than Jacob. He was a manly man, and uh, he was an outdoorsman, an athletic type, popular man, extrovert, the man of the world, if you will. In contrast, Jacob was the one of the Spirit, although that is uh, you know, not apparent at the beginning through his conniving and other things, uh, he was 
that picture. And it tells us that there's opposition in our life. There's struggles in our life through him. He was clever. He was self-opinionated. He was crooked as could be. And above all, he was mama's boy. So uh, we see that with all of this, it lets us know that just because we're saved, we don't get rid of our old flesh. It's there and it struggles with us. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob, it said in Genesis 25:28. In this family, both parents had their favorites. And that always creates, it seems like, friction, doesn't it? Especially if, if it's very evident. God said before they were born, so that it would be of grace, I have chosen the younger and the older will serve him. Jacob, knowing this promise, still took it upon himself in his flesh to try and work all of this out instead of trusting God. He connived for the right of the firstborn. The first, the, uh, the birthright was very important during that time because it meant that the boy possessing it would be the priest of the family. It would guarantee that, that the promises made to the father would be carried on to him. He would be con- it would be confirmed to him. And the ultimate promise, of course, was the Messiah would come through the line of the one having this birthright. So Esau, a man of the flesh, he really didn't care that much about his birthright, did he? I mean, all he cared about was the here and now. He especially didn't care about some Messiah coming thousands of years later. So Esau one day came in from hunting, very hungry, but not starving to death. And Jacob took advantage of this starving man's condition. And here we see that Esau so despised his birthright that he said, you may have it, it means nothing to me. Thus Jacob buys that which God had already promised to give him. He thought he had worked it out. He wanted to get it on his own. So God could not, nor did he, approve of this transaction. In other words, he was stepping ahead of God. He wanted to let God work it out. And we so often do that. Jacob did not stop there. When uh, old Isaac was uh, about to uh, do what he had uh, come to do, and that was uh, to pass on uh, his legacy and his uh, promises and everything else to bless Esau, what did uh, the mother do? She heard what was going on and what Jacob was ab- uh, what uh, Isaac was about to do, so she and had Jacob connive with her, and they stole the blessing. Their father, uh, Isaac, said to Esau, And make me savory food so that I love and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So they collaborated together, Rebekah and Jacob, and they made him smell like and look like and and feel like and his eyes were going he didn't see very well and uh, they made up the stew to taste like where he was deceived and 
he was given the blessing. So the theft of the blessing was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. It turned Jacob's brother against him. In Genesis 27:41, Esau hated Jacob because of blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. In other words, my father's old, but let him pass on. And after his grief is, uh, the grief of that is gone, then I will kill my brother. Rebekah heard this, and so in turn she said to Jacob, Now therefore, my son, in, in Genesis 27, Obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, or Haran and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. In other words, you go and you stay for a while and let it cool down and then you can come back. I'll talk to him during that time and try to cool him down and all this kind of stuff. That's my paraphrase, but, you know, I'll throw that in. But she never saw the boy again. She died. This boy leaves home, spends his first night out at Bethel, and that night he dreams of a ladder set up from the earth to heaven. And there were angels on it. And the angels were ascending and descending. God is telling this boy that he will answer his prayer, in other words. The ascending angel, the prayer, the descending angel will be the answer. And the latter is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Genesis 28:16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. You see, though deep down Jacob has a spiritual nature, he is still a conniver, a schemer, depending on his own, his own strength, his own wits. And he's still far from God. So God has appeared to him. He's telling this lonesome, homesick boy that there is grace and mercy with God and he still has access to God. His prayers will be heard and answered. God has not forsaken him. So as we uh, see him set out on his way, he heads to, to, towards Haran. Jacob, uh, you know, when he found the ladder, he, he ran away from home and God had promised to be with him and God's promising to be with him no matter whether he's uh, still clever, self-opinionated, or whatever. Uh, and God says, in essence, I will not leave you. But he still hasn't learned that. You know, as fathers, we need to remember who and what God, who God is and what God has done for us. Jacob needed to remember this. We need to uh, cherish these memories. And let them, you know, uh, be told to our children. Even with our failures, tell them where we failed them. Not trusting God and his principles. He needed to let his family know and teach them that God was with him and that he would never leave them. Notice the reaction of this run, runaway boy. He was frightened. He said, he was afraid, and how awesome is this place? You know, that this is the reason that, unfortunately, some folks, I'll just throw this in, uh, 
won't come to church today. You say, what do you mean? They have a hundred excuses. But I want to tell you, you know what it boils down to, these hundred excuses? They're afraid that they might get a little too close to God. And he might tell them some things they don't like. You see, multitudes of folks want to go through ceremonies, uh, rituals, church, whatever it might be. But they don't care about going firsthand to God because that means a relationship and a commitment. Fun times, activities, that's great. But what it takes to walk with God, they don't care to do. And this is kind of like Jacob. He was not ready to be what he needed to be. This is true with a lot of us. So he says, how awesome is this place? This is Bethel, the house of God. Such was his experience. And he makes his vow in 2820. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way. Now, did you hear the scripture there? If God will be with me and keep me in this place that I am going and give me bread and eat uh, to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my Father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. What is he doing still? He's he, <laughs> bargaining. He's still maneuvering around with God. Being a father... We need to allow our children, we need to let our children know that when we make mistakes, we make mistakes. But there is one person who controls and should control us, and that is God. And we don't tell God what to do. We don't bargain with God. We allow God to tell us what to do. But he had not learned that yet. On to Iran, and what does he do? He moves in with his uncle and he finds out that this is a school of hard knocks where he learns that he's been outwitted. And he ends up not with the woman that he wanted, first of all, is it? It's the oldest daughter, Leah. He wanted Rachel. But he works on. And he works on until he gets hurt because he loved her greatly. You know, this is the conniving there going back and forth was not right. But one thing that was true and, and was evident with him, Jacob, was what? That he truly loved Rachel in a sacrificial way. And he was willing to do whatever it took to have her. And that's the way husbands need to be. They need to love their wife sacrificially, unconditionally. And so as we see uh, many years pass by, he gets, finally gets Rachel and then they move on. They have children. And uh, then what, the, what happens? Uh, Laban comes after him. The uncle comes after him and, and uh, meets up with him. And, and he says, hey, I'm... I'm finished with it. I'm moving on. And so this is the way it is. And so um, 
we need to learn the lesson here of submission. He needed to learn the lesson of submission. That's one reason why God allowed him to stay with his uncle for so long, even though his uncle mistreated him, was he needed to learn the lesson of submission. To be a good father doesn't mean that we're dictatorial. It means that we're submissive to God. And we love our wives and that we submit ourselves one to another. And we're to teach our children also the principles that he learned and that is and was learning. Do not deceive. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. We need to learn that if we lead this life and if we live this life of deception and conniving, then we will sow what we reap. And I'm afraid that a lot of times we see that in children. And it's unfortunate. We see what we may not have learned and taught them or we may not have confessed and changed in our own life or whatever it might be. We see it repeated sometimes in the family. So we see that he finally goes back and he he goes back to Bethel, but he doesn't go straight to Bethel, does he? Once again, he, he uh, makes a turn, and God had to deal with him still. We need to teach the, the importance of dependence upon our Heavenly Father, humbling ourselves before the Lord. Just like Jacob had to learn the humbling humility of serving his uncle, and also coming before his brother and meeting him and then telling him or referring to him as his servant, realizing and admitting to what he had done was wrong. But we need to trust God when we do that, no matter what the consequences. And he wasn't willing to trust God because he was still afraid, and so he moved on to something else before or someplace else before going to Bethel. And we need to just realize what we've done and admit it to God and then move on and allow our children to see this and that sometimes moving on, it may with those consequences it may or there may come things that we don't like and we don't care for. And they may be even hurtful at the time, but we know that that's God chastising us and bringing us back to that Bethel, that place of promise, that place where we meet him and we fellowship with him. Now, in leaving that, what about your Bethel? What about your place of promise? You remember that time when you accepted the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior? What did you do when you accepted the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior? You gave your heart and your life to God, didn't you? You totally gave your heart and your life to God. You may not have understood everything just like Jacob didn't understand everything along the way. And you make mistakes. But that's what you did. Now with each time that you disobey God and you start taking things back into your own hands, what do you do? 
you break that fellowship with God, don't you? And there's messes that come up. There's consequences to that sometimes. There's things that, that happen. And we become more frustrated and, and we become chaotic. And if we don't get back to that place where we walk with God and we commune with God, what happens? Just like with our nation, we move further away from God. And do you know what the sad thing about that is? When we move further away from God, our churches and our people, not everybody, but for the most part, our churches and our people began to take what is going on at that time, the way of life, as acceptable. And we even think, if we allow Satan to work, that we are archaic, archaic, that we are old thinking, that we are out of touch with the progression of things today. There's nothing wrong with progressing in your thought. These young guys back here with the computers are way progress, or they progress way beyond my thinking. Nothing wrong with that. What I'm talking about is with our absolutes, our morals, our values, the Word of God. Let's pray that we will be godly leaders, that we will move forward with, you know, technology and other things uh, that we need to move forward with. But let's pray that our values and our morals and our ethics, our lifestyle, that God would have us to live will not change. It will always be Christ-like. And that will be the example that we should be. Father, thank you for these that come, have come out today. And thank you for the fathers. And Lord, help us. Help me. Help each and every one of us. Be the leaders that we need to be. God, help us to move forward. Yes, in, in our thinking in certain areas, but never moving forward and changing from the Word of God as far as conviction and morals and values that are there. May they always be absolute, founded in your Word, standing upon your truth. Help us never wander from that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. God's dealing with your heart and your mind. Won't you come?
move over. I was told that I move out of the <laughs> spot of the camera. <laughs> Not that I care about being on it during this time. Okay, let's go away rejoicing in the Lord. Anything that we need to make announcement to? Okay, nothing. It is good to see you here today. Happy Father's Day to all of you. I know that y'all probably, some of you will go out and eat. Some of you will go home and eat. Some of you won't eat. Uh, like me, I, I don't need to eat. No, I'm just kidding. She's already got something ready for me. But y'all have a great Father's Day, all of you. It's, it's good to see each and every one of you. May we, pray, may we leave praising God together. Come on. Beautiful. Beautiful. 